With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Sunday, September 11th, 2022. And tonight we're breaking down a must-needed win by the St. Louis Cardinals. Didn't have a podcast on Friday night following up that loss to the Pirates. And after everything that transpired on Saturday, I was like, we got to hop back on the mic and exhale a little bit of a sigh of relief because I had been tooting the horn of the Cardinals saying the division was over. I called it done and dusted. The Cardinals had this thing on lock, but then, you know, stuff started happening, and I was thinking, oh, boy, am I going to live to regret this one? I feel a little bit better after the Cardinals mounting the comeback on Saturday against the Pittsburgh Pirates at PNC Park. They had been on a bit of a skid. We had seen some inconsistency from the pitching, And really not a huge skid, right? Like, they still took two of four from Washington. But when you only take two of four from Washington, that's a little nerve-wracking. That's You kind of wonder what went wrong. And the pitching was really rough on Thursday. The offense has been sort of inconsistent. The guys that you normally expect to be great, like Paul Goldschmidt, he's on a little bit of a slide relative to what he's used to. We'll talk about exactly what his recent numbers are and how concerned we should be on tonight's show. But two games in a row where the pitching gets blown up by bad teams. They allow 11 runs on Thursday to Washington, and then you start that Pirates series and they lose 8-2 to on Friday. And I thought, nobody wants to hear me talk about this game, so I'm just not going to. It was a weekend day, decided to go ahead and, and skip that one. But it happened again on Friday. Miles Michaels hasn't been great. In road environments, we've talked a lot about how when the Cardinals line up their October pitching schedule, it needs to feature Miles Michaelis at home rather than on the road. He did have eight strikeouts in Friday's game, but gave up four earned runs, eight hits, a couple of walks, and a long bomb to the Pirates lineup. And then the bullpen got battered around a little bit in that game as well with Jake Woodford giving up the other four runs. And for the Cardinals to be so lackadaisical offensively against the Pirates, and you had that coinciding with the fact that the Brewers had that doubleheader win on Thursday, and I'm thinking, oh boy, is this thing about to get ugly? Fortunately, the Brewers did the Cardinals a solid, and and me at this point, based on the way I've gone out on a limb for the Cardinals in my prediction. They lost on Friday. The Brewers do win on Saturday, but not a big deal because the Cardinals were able to get theirs as well. 7-5 to five over the Pittsburgh Pirates. We'll talk about this game. We'll talk about Albert Pujols, the quest for 700. It is really heating up now as Albert locked in on number 696 on Saturday to tie Alex Rodriguez for fourth all-time on the MLB home run list. There's only three people in the history of this game 
with more home runs than Albert Pujols now. Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, Barry Bonds. That is the company that Albert Pujols keeps, and his next one will put him into fourth all-time by his lonesome. So I'm pretty impressive there. I'll talk about what this homer at PNC Park in particular means for his career numbers there, some interesting stuff, and get into a graphic that they put up on the broadcast that I thought was kind of interesting as well, comparing the Cardinals' home run leaders, the active home run leaders, and how some of those guys stack up. Albert Pujols has basically more than the rest of the team. Not quite, but he's done a lot in his career, and he's continuing to do a lot in 2022 for the Cardinals. So we'll gush about Albert Pujols, as we so often do in 2022 on B-Shape Daily. We'll talk about how the Cardinals uh, needed some help in this game. They needed to come from behind twice to ensure they'd get the win. And we'll talk about where the offense came from other than Albert. It seemed like for a while in this game it was going to be just the Albert Pujols show. He needed a little bit of help from his friends later on. Luckily, Nolan Arenado provided it. So lots to get into on today's episode of the show. But before I get into the content of the show, would like to remind you guys that I'd love to have your support. Spotify and Apple Podcasts, those are two places you can subscribe to Be Shaped Daily. Make sure that you never miss an episode. Download the show. Have it ready for you each morning. Would love for you guys to be on board in that way. And if you'd like to support the show, there have been some people who have done so, and it makes my life a lot better. You can head to patreon.com slash bshafer12 and check out the potential to subscribe to the Patreon, become a patron on a monthly basis, five bucks a month to support B-Shape Daily and uh, hoping to get some more football content going on the Patreon as well, if that's something you're into. But the podcast, B-Shape Daily, remains free, and that is a way that you can support it. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening to the show. Let's go ahead and hop in now to the content where we talk about the 7-5 to win for the Cardinals over the Pirates on Saturday. And we'll lead it off with a name I haven't mentioned yet, but he obviously factored pretty heavily into the game, and that's Jack Flaherty, the, the Cardinals starter, who making his second start since returning from the injured list this time. And tonight's outing, not all that fruitful, but he did enough. It's kind of a hard thing to balance when you think about what we expect from Jack Flaherty, what we're hoping to see from him in terms of being able to project moving forward. Like, okay, we're looking ahead to October. What's that rotation going to look like? Can Jack Flaherty show that he is in a position where the Cardinals can reasonably trust him with one of those starting spots in the playoffs? I wouldn't say that Saturday's outing uh, moved us forward in that regard, despite the fact that he got the job done to an extent that the Cardinals were able to win the game. Five innings for Flaherty. But again, you have some issues with his command of the strike zone. And it seems like every time he's pitched in a big league game this year, for the most part, that's been what we've had to discuss, is that he's nibbling around, he's not going right after guys, and base runners are getting on, and he's having to work around danger because of it. The final line for Flaherty on Saturday, five innings, six hits, three earned runs, but four walks and zero strikeouts to go with two home runs allowed. So the nibbling is there. They're hitting him hard on occasion when they get to him. And zero strikeouts is alarming to me because he's not missing bats is what that means. And when Jack Flaherty is at his best, he's going to get his fair share of strikeouts. It's going to be part of his game. He's not going to have an instance where he gets zero. That's just not Jack Flaherty-esque. 
And so I would say that is a little bit alarming. Like five innings, three runs, that's that's fine. That's the result of the outing. But if you take a look under the hood, I think you're more concerned than encouraged by what we saw on Saturday. Because again, the measure by which you're taking a look at Jack Flaherty right now is not, can he be a good number five starter to get you through every fifth day and give you a chance to win so that they can lock up this division in due time? That's all well and good, but that's basically what Dakota Hudson was giving you. He would go four or five innings and give up three or four runs. Sometimes he'd give up one or two, and you'd be happy that he was able to skirt around the walks. But he wasn't getting super deep into games with regularity, and you didn't expect greatness from Dakota Hudson every fifth day. If he gave you a chance to win, that was good enough, and that was sort of the the bar by which we measured the Dakota Hudson experience in St. Louis this season. Jack Flaherty, the bar's got to be different for him because you know what he has been and you know what he can be if healthy. And the Cardinals could certainly use a guy like that in their playoff rotation. And I had been sort of batting around the idea of, okay, if you go Wainwright, Michaelis in a home series, wild card series, best two out of three, those games are at Bush. Let's say the Cardinals win them both. You go to the NLDS on the road game one. Who's your starter? Is it Flaherty or Jordan Montgomery? And kind of assuming that we would have those four be the guys you're looking at. Wainwright, Michaelis, Flaherty, Montgomery. With Wainwright and Michaelis destined to pitch at Bush Stadium as often as possible because their numbers are just so much better at home. But now I'm wondering a little bit. First of all, I don't think there's any conversation at this point between Montgomery and Flaherty to be had? The answer is Jordan Montgomery. If you had to decide between the two, it's not even really a a discussion yet, is it? Jack Flaherty has not done nearly enough to unseat the work done by Jordan Montgomery since arriving to the Cardinals. So I don't think there's really anything to be talked about at that point. Montgomery is your three. Flaherty is more needing to vie with Jose Quintana for that number four spot in my opinion. Because we've seen from Jack Flaherty a number of times this year, and maybe it's not fair to look back to his previous outings because he wasn't healthy for those outings, and that's why he ended up on the injured list. But we've seen at times him be that guy that gives up a lot of base runners because he's not committing the strike zone. He wastes a lot of pitches. He nibbles. He doesn't get too deep into games. And sometimes those runners that get on base, they come back to haunt you on the scoreboard. That's been the story of Jack Flaherty's season when he's pitched, and he hasn't pitched much because there's a health concern. Hopefully that health concern is in the rearview mirror. But you do have to grade him by what he does on the field. You can't use the caveat of, well, well, he's had these issues with injury. Like, sure, he has, but we're mid-September at this point. We, We can't be looking at whether to give him a handicap and say he's just working his way back in. No, I mean, if you want to measure him against the other pitchers and decide who's going to be in your postseason group, you've got to do that at this point. These are the the outings that are going to determine that. Montgomery has just consistently given you greatness. He's had one bad outing, but other than that, he's been really, really sharp. And if you look across all seven of his starts that he's made for the Cardinals, the results speak for themselves. 1.45 ERA. He's been a pretty good strikeout pitcher. He's not walked a ton of guys. 
just eight walks across 43 and a third innings. So it's pretty solid. That's less than or fewer than two walks per nine innings. So he's right there doing what you need to do, and, and that's a, a resume that would fit in the playoffs. Jack Flaherty's resume, what is it at this point? Because we can't keep looking back to the pitcher that he was two and a half years ago. Or I guess really that's not even two and a half years. Now we're talking about three years ago, late 2019, when he was great, when he was Bob Gibson. And even I would give you two years ago in the 2020 playoffs when he looked so good against the Padres. That was his, that's like his last true stud outing. Cardinals lost that game, but it wasn't his fault. But the injuries, the, the health issues have taken its toll ever since. And so the Cardinals are now in a race against the clock to say, can Jack Flaherty show to us that he's still that guy or he's at present that guy without needing an offseason to rehab or needing an offseason to strengthen up to get back to form. We'd love to have him to form over the next few weeks when we could use him during the most important part of the baseball season. That's the weapon they hope they're getting. From tonight, I don't think you've got that. If you go four walks to zero strikeouts, you've got more questions than answers about Jack Flaherty right now. The good news is he's got three, four, maybe five more turns through the rotation. I think it's just four. I think they've got 22 games left. But about four turns through the rotation, if he stays on turn, where he can prove it, he can find himself, and he can be ready for that opportunity in the playoffs. But for right now, we do have to pump the brakes a little bit on anointing him this guy that's going to be in that playoff rotation. I don't think it's automatic. Has Jose Quintana been stupendous? Not necessarily. But when you look at what he's done, if you're comparing the merits of Quintana versus Flaherty as, say, the number four in your playoff rotation, I look at Quintana and say you've at least had the consistency of he's limited the damage. He's not had an outing where he's allowed more than two earned runs across his first seven starts with the Cardinals. Now, he's had a couple where he's given up four runs, and one of those games he didn't even get out of the third inning. He's not consistently getting deep. He's maxed out at five innings in each of his last five outings. That's been the max. He's gotten through six a couple of times, but that was early August. That was a month ago at this point. It hasn't gotten through more than five innings since August 10th. But in the playoffs, how much do you really care about that? If you can give me five and dive, if you can give me five innings of two-run baseball, I'm locking that in as my number four because it's going to be a bullpen game regardless. I mean, every game in the playoffs is a bullpen game. It's all hands on deck. So I'm not really worried about game two of the NLDS, whether my starter is going seven innings. If he can give me five and I'm in that ball game, I'm pretty much going to take that every time out. With Flaherty, do you know that for sure? Or is he going to have one of those outings where it's a 30-pitch first inning, it's a 25-pitch second inning, and he's pitching into the fourth and staring down the barrel of 100 pitches? You know, I, I don't know that that's necessarily the way I want to go. I think you're going to get more consistency from Quintana, at least the version that we're seeing of these respective pitchers right now. The upside is there for Flaherty. I think he's got a higher ceiling than most everybody else in this rotation. But what's the percentage chance that he hits on that ceiling? That's maybe up for debate a little bit more. Again, five innings, three runs, gave up six hits and four walks. So that's 10 base runners in five innings. That's a 2.00 whip. That's not what you want to see 
not when you combine it with the lack of strikeouts and the existence of two home runs that he gives up. 87 pitches in five innings is not the most inefficient we've ever seen, Flaherty. But 46 strikes in 87 pitches, 46 strikes to 41 balls. It's nibbling. It's it's not even nibbling sometimes. It's non-competitive pitches, and it feels like a broken record because we've seen that in his other outings as well. I don't want to make too much of a comparison to those outings this season because he hadn't been healthy, so it's hard to count that against him too much. But like I said, you're not grading on a curve anymore here now that the playoffs are nearly upon us. So my hope for Flaherty in five days is just a little bit sharper. Um, add some strikeouts to that that repertoire so that there is that baseline of, yes, he's moving in the right direction. As for his performance on Saturday, he did keep the Cardinals in the game. Five innings, three runs, he grinded. That's not a great outing, but it's good enough, and the offense needs to do something to support that. Talked about how Goldsmith has been kind of going through it a little bit. 0 for 4 today, he did reach base via walk and score a run, but the OPS is down to 1020. The MVP, it's not on life support, but it's definitely... Uh, it's, it's looking a little more questionable than it had been at any point in this season. Now, still, over the past seven games, he's got a 7-10 OPS. That's not like some of the other slumps that we've seen from guys this season where, yeah, over the past week, their OPS is 400. It's still not even that because he still takes his walks, four walks in the past week. He's 5 for 25. It's a 200 average. He's had one home run. It's He's going through it a little bit, and, and some of the individual at-bats don't look nearly as good. It looks like he's kind of guessing up there, not as comfortable as we've often seen him. Hopefully he locks it back in and can lock up that MVP for sure. But for right now, going through it a little bit, and yet still 7-10 OPS over the past week. So by and large, I'm not super worried about him, but it would be nice to see him go yard or to have one of those quintessential days to say, okay, he's found it, he's locked it back in, because he really can carry this offense and often does, and that's why maybe you've seen disappointment with the consistency of the offense in recent days. But Albert carried the load on Saturday, at least in the early innings. Pirates got up 3-0 on Flaherty, a couple of home runs that he gave up early. Albert Pujols, Brendan Donovan as well. Those guys go to work. Donovan had a solo home run. Albert ended up going 3-for-4. Once again, a triple shy of the cycle. Had a double, and then the home run in the sixth inning. That tied the game at 3-3. So he's finding his way into the mix and actually helping the Cardinals in a tangible way. It's not sentiment. It's not just nostalgia year for Albert Pools. The dude is helping this team win games, which is really, really cool to see and something that I did not expect when they signed him to say that he'd be a legitimate force. Like, it all made sense on paper. Hey, he's been really good against left-handed pitching. He can get the job done. Well, today there was a righty on the mound. They're putting him in because they feel good about their division chances. They're trying to get him to 700. I've got no problem with it at all. And he ends up coming through against a righty. That was the star JT Brubaker for the Pirates. Awesome. Three for four, double home run, three RBIs on the day. Incredible. I mean, even after the Pirates get one back in the seventh, Albert comes up in the eighth and a base hit to tie it. So he ties it with the homer in the sixth. He ties it with a base hit up the middle in the eighth. Four to four at that point. And boy, do the Cardinals need a swing from somebody else in the ninth. Because again, the Brewers, we had kind of counted them out because I had just seen the writing on the wall. I had seen the remaining schedule and I just thought it was 
too big of a hill to climb for Milwaukee unless the Cardinals shot themselves in the foot. And I just didn't see that happening. And then the turn sort of happens where they start to play more poorly than we'd seen in some time. Got a little bit nervous, coincides with the the Brewers. They swept a doubleheader against the Giants on Thursday. Luckily, the Reds beat them on Friday. Brewers got the Reds back 5-1 to one on Saturday. And so it's sort of been in lockstep for the last couple of days now this weekend where the Cardinals not losing any ground, not gaining any ground either. Eight games is currently the lead. The magic number is going to continue to dip down a little bit. You need those days, though, where the Cardinals win and the Brewers lose. If you have a couple of those, you're going to feel a lot better about the direction of things. But still, eight games, you're thinking about the landscape in baseball like it's a dogfight in the NL East. Mets and Braves are within a half a game of one another. You look out into the American League, the Astros are 11 up on the Mariners, but those other two division races are close. The Cardinals have the third largest division lead in baseball of the six divisions right now. It's the Astros and Dodgers in the top two spots, and the Cardinals are the, they're the next most comfortable team at this point in time. So feel good about that. Take a deep breath. I'm sort of having to take a deep breath about my prediction for real because I was like, man, it would just happen that dude who's a baseball-mashing robot, Paul Goldschmidt, would suddenly, like after I've declared the division over, Goldie would suddenly have a little bit of a, a tick off and they're losing games to the Washington Nationals. Now they're losing to the Pirates. This is not good. They've got to find something to stabilize things here before this gets too out of hand. Well, Nolan Arenado agreed. He comes up with the bases loaded in the ninth, and he ropes a double to the left field corner. Three runs, clears the bases, and that comes, by the way, after a really gritty walk by Paul Goldschmidt. So that's an example of, no, he's not having the, the best time right now, but he's also still giving his team a chance to win because he's not going to do anything stupid in those situations. He's going to take the at-bat. He's going to take the plate appearance necessary to put the Cardinals in a good spot. And so he didn't try to do too much. I hope that's a sign of more things to come from him because it had been a rough day. He was 0 for 4 to that point, has fallen behind in the batting average race to Freddie Freeman, which I had said a couple of weeks ago that was my biggest fear. Of the three triple crown categories, I was looking at batting average the most suspiciously. Freeman now up to 330, Goldie at 325. It it didn't even take to the end of September for that to happen. It, it makes a lot of sense to me. Schwarber, by the way, did homer tonight, so Goldie is now two behind him. He's still one up on Alonzo for RBI. It's going to just take one of those weeks where Goldie goes nuclear, and he's going to win the Triple Crown. He can still do it, but right now it's looking a little bit skeptical. Uh, OPS is still 1020. Freeman is 927. That's second in the league. Arenado has gone on a pretty big downturn as well to 908 for his OPS. For a while, it was Goldie, and then Arenado was number two, about 100 points behind him. That's trailed off a little bit, but that's all the more reason that the Cardinals needed Nolan to come through there in the ninth. And just a classic Arenado, just tomahawk line drive out to left field, screaming line shot, exit velocity, the whole bit. Three-run double, clears the bases, and you can exhale just a little bit. Ryan Helsley comes in. He does give up a run in the ninth inning, but with that three-run lead, there was just no way he was going to give it up to the Pirates. After giving up a couple of hits, he ends up getting out of it, gets his 15th save of the season. The Cardinals can relax. They got the win. 82-58, and 58, the record. They're eight games up on Milwaukee. I still feel pretty good about things. I do. You think about 
the number that I had said was nine games. If you're up by nine games at the end of August, I don't see Milwaukee covering that total throughout the remainder of the season. And now they're up eight games 11 days later. So that's not a pace that concerns me in terms of the Brewers gaining on the Cardinals. Where you do run into trouble is if the Brewers sweep the Cardinals all four games that they played in the rest of the season. Because then essentially all they have to do is play within four of you in the remaining 18 games, I want to say, of the schedule. But if the Cardinals win even one of those four against the Brewers, then they've got to play within six of you. That's how quickly it can swing. And let alone the idea that the Cardinals would either break even or actually beat the Brewers. Like if you sweep the Brewers Tuesday, Wednesday this week, and I say get that win on Tuesday because if you do, I bet Wainwright is going to come back and and have a little bit of a bounce back from the performances that he has been because that's going to be the record-breaking game. And so you sweep Tuesday, Wednesday, just that quick two-game series at Bush coming up this week after the day off on Monday. It's done. At that point, the Brewers would be probably 10 back, maybe even 11. So I I still feel pretty good about things. We got to keep in mind that the Brewers do play a pretty weak schedule, but so do the Cardinals. I mean, they get five more against the Reds and six more against the Pittsburgh Pirates. You do play San Diego. You do play the Dodgers. You do get four against the Brewers. But consider the games against the Brewers a bonus. Like, that's a plus. You want to be facing that team so you can get them the hell behind you and take care of your own business. Don't be afraid of that, and the Cardinals aren't. So if I'm a Cardinals fan, I'm feeling good. If I'm a guy who predicted a few days ago that the Cardinals were easily going to win the Central and that there was nothing left to talk about, I'm feeling good. I do happen to be that guy. But I feel good about it. I also feel good about Albert Pujols' chances to get to 700. I'm actually asking the question, and I tweeted this out on Saturday night. Does Albert get to 700 before the end of the upcoming homestand, Sunday, September 18th? Because after Sunday's game, this week's Sunday, in Pittsburgh, 12.35 start, Cardinals going to come home. They're going to get that off day on Monday, rest up, and then it's going to be the Brewers for two and the Reds for five. It's seven games, and I could see Albert hitting four home runs in that stretch. And I hope he does, because if he doesn't, I don't think we're going to see Albert hit, do the do the record and, and break it at home. Not the record, but reach the plateau of 700. I think it happens on the road trip if it doesn't happen by September 18th. But I sense that there's going to be a game this week where Albert hits one early and maybe he gets a second one in that same game and suddenly it comes into clear focus. And maybe they they sweep the Brewers in the process. Maybe it happens on one of those Brewers games, right? And and I guess I'd have to look and see who could be pitching for Milwaukee. Does Eric Lauer line up in that series? I know he's a lefty that the Brewers have. Uh, nope, damn it. <laughs> As I Google his name, Eric Lauer placed on the 15-day injured list. Well, maybe one of the random dudes that they call up to replace Eric Lauer ends up being a left-handed pitcher. And honestly, it doesn't matter. I think they're going to start to just put Albert in there every day. Maybe not against the Brewers. They want to make sure they get the biggest advantage they can against Milwaukee because they want to they want to leave no stone unturned, leave no doubt that they're going to win that division. But at home, I think you're going to give the home fans every chance to see Albert that you can. And isn't it a pretty good indicator of where he is that Ollie gave him that shot against Brubaker tonight, and he goes three for four and is the hero offensively of the game. That's a righty. It doesn't matter. Albert's going to, he's going to buck conventional wisdom. You just got to put him in there every day. What I'm saying is he's getting to 700. I'm like 85%. My, my number has been rising. He only needs four more. 
He's going to do it. Barring an injury, he's going to do it. That is my firm belief at this point. And I'll go as far as to say, I think he could do it by September 18th. And if he doesn't, I think he does it on that road trip. Like, it made sense a while ago to say, oh, man, that last home series against the Pirates, load up, get your tickets. And get your tickets anyway, because you'll probably see Wayno, you'll, you will see Yachty, and you'll see Albert in some capacity. Like, that's the send-off. That's the Nostalgia Tour 2022. September 30th? Is there 30 days in September? Last day of September, October 1, October 2. That's the series, if I'm not mistaken. But I genuinely think he's hitting too many home runs for that to still be in play. He'll beat a 700 before that series begins. And so I'd like to see him do it this week. I'd like to see him. He's going to, he's probably going to hit one on Sunday. Still in Pittsburgh. Let's talk about that. His home run on Saturday off Brubaker, number 696 for his career. It was the 33rd homer he's ever hit at PNC Park, which ties that ballpark for fourth all time for Albert Pujols in his career of ballparks in which he has homered the most. The top three are Bush Stadium, Bush Stadium, like both of them, both of the ones in which he played, and Angel Stadium, obviously, because he's, he played there for 10 years. And those are the three that are top the leaderboard. The next two are, well, it had been prior to today, Minute Maid Park, 33 home runs. And the other one was PNC Park at 32. And he hit his 33rd at PNC Park today to tie for fourth all-time. So basically, PNC and Minute Maid are the two parks where he was never a home player and he has hit the most home runs. Those are the two, and they're tied. But you narrow it down even further. He's played 152 career games at Minute Maid Park because the Astros and the Angels were in the same division in the AL. So he got it going both ways. He played there pretty often in the you know early 2000s with the Cardinals because it was an NL Central rival. And then he played there quite often because it was an AL West rival of the Angels after he went over there. 152 career games there, fourth most in all the fields he's played at. Wrigley is next at 100, and uh, assuming he's in the lineup on Sunday, that'll be 100 games at PNC Park. Today was number 99. But you look at the plate appearances, 657 at Minute Maid, just 438 prior to today, which now he's up to 442 at PNC Park, and yet the same number of home runs. OPS over 1150, the highest of all active ballparks, and it's a little bit higher than his career OPS at Turner Field, which is now defunct, so he won't be playing there anymore. And it looks like Nationals Park, he's got a 1,200 OPS there, so that's technically the highest, but we're talking just 17 games there, so not quite the same degree. He loves hitting at PNC Park. That's the bottom line. Qualcomm, Shea Stadium, those, those were up there as well, but those are defunct as well. So pretty impressive stuff. He's killed the Pirates for 20 years. I think he's going to continue to kill the Pirates. My prediction is he's going to get that 34th homer at PNC Park at some point, whether it's tomorrow or whether it's that last series of the season because the Cardinals play against Pittsburgh at home, and then they go to Pittsburgh to finish out the year. He's getting at least one more homer at Pittsburgh, probably multiple. He might face a position player in that last series, and it could be like the home run derby. So... I feel like he's going to gonna beat that number and end up PNC Park will be on the list by itself as the fourth most homers for a stadium in Albert's career. I feel pretty good about 700. I think it's going to happen. 
I know I was a late adopter, but once I adopted it, I've been I've been singing the praises here on the show. And I, I really do think it's coming for him. We'll see what this week brings. Like I said, he may not have to face a lot of lefties and, and could still find his way into lineups and could still find a way to do damage with the way he's seeing the ball right now. So going to be interesting to see how that plays out. We will, of course, continue to track it here on B-Shave Daily. Mitch Keller, a right-hander on the mound for Pittsburgh on Sunday afternoon. Albert is 0 for 3 in his career against Keller, so we'll see if he ends up in the lineup or not. I say you put him in there because it's the Pirates. You probably can beat him anyway, even if you don't have your best, best lineup out there. You don't have the advantage of Dylan Carlson as a guy who plays against lefties. Maybe you want Alec Burleson in there, or pardon me, against righties because he bats better lefty. Alec Burleson can bat well lefty. Corey Dickerson, obviously, you want in there against a righty. He was in there today, had a couple more hits. I don't know. We'll see if Albert's able to get in there. I think, regardless, he probably pinch hits at the very least and ends up with a home run chance. So we'll see. I think it's getting interesting. I think it's getting close. And uh, one more to pass A-Rod, which I I definitely think that's going to happen. He's not going to go three and a half weeks without at least one home run. So pretty cool stuff by Albert Pujols. Continues to be the case. Good to see Nolan Arnado get that big swing. The Cardinals just need those two guys, Goldie and Arnado, in the middle to sort of get and keep things going. Because if they do, I just don't think there's going to be a concern. You want to see that, though, at the right time of year. You want to see it when they get into end of September, early October, playoff mode. Arnado has been so vocal about how he wants to win the division, how he wants to have that celebration, and then how he wants to do well in the playoffs. That's another addendum to this that he's made. I was in the clubhouse a couple of times when he's talked about it and said, yeah, I want to go to the playoffs, sure, but I want to do well when I get there because if you, my career numbers, I'm not proud of those in the, the couple of chances I've had in, in playoff games. So I think he's going to be a man on the mission. He's just got to get hot at the right time. And hopefully the the big three-run double that he hit in the ninth inning on Saturday is maybe something that can get him there. Elsewhere in the game, mentioned Brendan Donovan. He had a home run, was there out of the leadoff spot. Been a little bit of a, a lull for a guy like Lars Newpar, so he was not in the lineup. He had a couple of other guys, Gorman, O'Neill, Molina, DeYoung, all come up with a base hit. Cardinals scattered 11 hits, and they were able to find seven runs on the board as well. It was mostly Albert and then the Arenado swing, but you'll take him any way you can get him. See how much the Cardinals can do on the consistency front and uh, just try and continue knocking down those wins because the magic number is going to come into play, and it's going to get interesting. That's going to do it, though, for this edition of the show. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. Should be back right here on Sunday night, breaking down the Cardinals series finale against Pittsburgh. And then it'll be the off day on Monday before that big homestand where maybe Albert Pujols has a chance to make some history. Appreciate you guys once again, as always, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.